So hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you all to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. We have a very special guest joining us today, Ron Beck, who's the Senior Director, Solutions Marketing for Aspen Technology. And we're going to be speaking with Ron about the energy transition and how digital technologies can and are playing a major role in this global transition. Now, we've got a lot to get to with Ron today, so I want to welcome him in. Ron, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Lee. Thanks for having me on your podcast series. Absolutely. And it's and it's great to talk to you again. And, and like I said, we have a lot to jump into today. But first off, um, can you just let the listeners know a little bit more about your company, Aspen Tech, and then your role with the organization? Sure, I'd be glad to, Lee. So I work for Aspen Technology. Um, we're a global leader in industrial software. In fact, we call ourselves today uh, Industrial Software Powerhouse. Um, we're a publicly listed company, a little over a billion dollars in revenues and 55% owned by Emerson Electric. Um, and we're a strong innovator in the process industries uh, and in the fields of sustainability and more generally in the area of industrial AI. So now the crown jewels, I would say, of Aspen Tech are our high uh, amount of intellectual property that's contained in our application software used globally across some multiple industries. Um, we have over 40 years of innovation there and uh, building and improving and introducing new software. We probably have the world's largest concentration of chemical engineers, geologists, geophysicists, power engineers, sustainability experts and AI innovators, all focused on application software for industry. Now, as to my role, um, I have 40 years experience in the industry and my role at Aspen Tech today is uh, as what's called, as you mentioned, a solution uh, marketeer. And what that means is pulling the whole breadth of Aspen Tech software scope together into concrete sustainability solutions that are helping companies move towards lower wastes and net carbon zero. Uh, in terms of my background, have an I've had three careers actually. One of my college professors told me I, you know, one should always change careers every 15 to 20 years to stay, <laughs> um, you know, fresh. And it's sort of worked out that way. Um, you know, I had 10 years initially as a sustainability consultant. Uh, when when those roles actually didn't totally exist, but I worked for a, a groundbreaking company in that area. Then then I spent about 10 years as a touring squash professional and administrator of the sport. Which <laughs> really? Was, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> and um, the last 25 years, I've been working as an expert in the digitalization of the power manufacturing and process industries. Excellent. I didn't know that you did squash for so long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, so I want to dive into the bulk of what we're talking about today. And of course, it's this energy transition. Um, yep. First off, for, for people listening, what is energy efficiency? And then why is it still important even today? Yeah, so it's probably even more important today than any time in the past. But, you know, so everybody talks about sustainability today and net carbon zero and the circular economy. I mean, one of the core concepts of sustainability is uh, to support the world's growth and evolution with as little waste as possible. And so energy is one of the key resources of the world. And almost every industry 
is wasteful in the use of energy. Uh, when most assets were actually created, certainly in the US, but across the world, um, energy was cheap and the, there was no cost of carbon that people thought about. So when people designed facilities, even today, sometimes they don't think about you know, designing them for optimal energy efficiency. There's, so there's huge opportunities there. So basically, energy efficiency is how do you make what you're still making, but do it using less energy. <laughs> and so one of the biggest things that is going on right now within multiple industries around the globe is, of course, net zero carbon and carbon mitigation. Right. So in your opinion, when we talk about those topics, what do you think are the biggest opportunities for industrial companies today that can make a dent in their emissions in the short term? Yeah, so that's a great question. And of course, everybody's asking that because most companies around the globe have said by 2050 or sometime in that time frame, they're going to be quote unquote net carbon zero. Um, and so clearly what we're talking about today, energy efficiency to us and to many companies is considered the low hanging fruit. So, um, you know, there's probably a 10 to 20% further opportunity to reduce carbon through energy efficiency because, of course, uh, unless you're, um, you know, generating your the energy you use through totally renewable sources, typically every uh, bit of energy efficiency you take out of a system will also take a a corresponding amount of carbon emissions out of the system. So the second, you know, the second thing beyond energy efficiency, of course, is electrification. There's a lot of equipment in a plant that you can electrify and in an upstream oil field. So, you know, switching pumps and motors and things like that over to electric uh, is another uh, low hanging fruit there for companies. And that's probably, according to European Refining Association, worth about another 10% for companies. Um, so those are those are two of the low the easiest things to do. Excellent. And and so I want to dive into, of course, what Aspetech has been known for for decades, and that's providing really, really good digital technologies. So what are some of the biggest opportunities that companies can do to improve energy consumption through things like digitalization? Right. So um what 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 we find and we've done we've actually worked on this interestingly for many many years and way before people were interested in in Europe and the US in uh increasing energy efficiency it was actually core to the companies in Asia particularly places like Japan and Korea that actually don't have any of their own oil and gas so or or much coal either so Basically, they had to import all energy, so they were interested in energy efficiency from the start. Well, um, so I said most companies have maybe 10 to 20 percent gain you can get in energy efficiency, and we believe about half of that is possible through digital. So there's physical things you can do to an asset, you know, like replace low-performing equipment uh, with more energy-efficient equipment, but about half of what you can get is through digital. And the biggest opportunities by applying digital technology are uh, a couple areas. One is uh, sort of the classic area that people talk about is advanced process control. So uh, advanced process control makes you more money, but how does it do that? It's largely through energy efficiency. So there's a big opportunity there. Uh, and most companies have some APC, but not 
a full amount. Uh, the second big area is utilities optimization. I, I guess we can talk a little bit more about that if we want. Um, and um, a third area is through specific digital twins for some of the biggest, uh, what we call the bad actors or the biggest energy consumers in an asset. Uh, you can understand more details as to what you can do there through uh, through digital twins. And then, of course, also you can use digital to 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 identify the uh, the physical things you can do. So to to sort of uh, rank order actions, capital actions you can take to improve energy efficiency, you can do that quickly using digital uh, analysis tools. Actually, and so there's two things that you mentioned there, and of course that was advanced process control and utilities optimization. So I want to get back to APC here uh, in just a minute, but first, um, can you explain what you mean by utilities optimization, and of course how would that be achieved? Yeah, so when you think about energy, this may you know it's intuitively obvious, but people get confused about it. So there's two. Let's say you have a big refinery or oil field or chemical plant. Um, you know, there's two sides to that. There's the energy demand and the energy supply. And so on the demand side, we'll talk, like you said, we'll talk about APC, which is about how do you reduce the demand for energy by the units. But um, the supply is the utility. So you have utilities either internal to the plant or external, and you want to use the most effectively. So that's what utility optimization is about. It's about looking at all the sources that you have to supply uh, utilities, which utilities are generally, you know, electricity, steam, which is heat, water, and cooling. So those are the main utilities in a plant. So how do you, from either in a long-term planning or also minute-to-minute, -minute, optimize the use of utilities on a site? Let me just mention uh, two quick examples. So we have a customer in India called BPCL. Uh, they're one of the largest refiners in India, and they've been running online utility models based on our software for several years. So basically what they do is they, they really literally run that minute-to-minute uh, -minute and day-to-day, -day, and it tells them, you know, should I use power generated within the site? Should we buy it from the grid? Uh, look at the pricing, look at the types of power. Today, if you want to minimize carbon, you can make those decisions within the software based on which is your lowest carbon uh, source of power. Um, and then steam systems, you may have multiple steam sources in the plant, which ones you use. You have things like pumps, you may, typically a plant will have twinned, twinned, elect, twinned um, motors and pumps and things like that. So some may be steam driven, some may be electricity driven, some may be diesel or natural gas driven. So you can switch over and you can make those decisions based on which is the cheapest at any point in time, which is the most reliable to your to keep your plant running at any point in time, and which is the lowest carbon at any point in time. And BPCL is routinely, they've written several case studies on this, um, routinely save upwards of 5% energy use through just through utility optimization. No, those are those are great numbers, yeah. Um, and so now I wanna jump to the second thing you mentioned uh, in the previous question was advanced process control. So with, with APC, what's new today regarding advanced process control and why is it suddenly this opportunity again? 
Okay, so I mean, there's there's two things fundamentally that are new about it, um, and one is a business, you know, factor, and the other is a technical factor with the ease of use of the software. So, um, let's take the business uh, change first. So, well, as um, companies look to get to net zero carbon to reduce emissions, um, it changes the uh, calculus for where you would put APC in a plant. So typically, you know, cost you something to spin up an APC system and to maintain it. Um, and you, so you make the decision as to where you put APC in a plant based on the benefit. So you're going to, so typically, you know, typical refiner or ethylene producer or uh, gas, pro, you know, gas processor in the midstream um, will have looked at what are units where the, economic benefit is sizable to put APC because the energy use is a significant operating cost factor. And if I can reduce the operating costs, let's say 5%, I make 5% more money. And also I can increase my yield, uh, which gives me a bonus. Um, so today, you know, you add a cost of carbon and almost every significant company uh, in the United States has, an, even though there's no carbon tax in the U.S., most companies have an internal cost of carbon that they use to make decisions on, anticipating that they're trying to get to net carbon zero, um, is um, it makes changes to the numbers. So if you also add in a, uh, you know, in the ROI, the cost of carbon, which a lot of companies in Europe they're starting to count the cost of carbon as $100 per metric ton of CO2 emitted. Um, in the US, companies uh, have different metrics they use internally, but it might be between $50 and $70 typically. Today, if it's a big global international player, they'll probably be using a number closer to 100 because uh, they have a lot of overseas plants too. But that basically means if five or 10 years ago, you decided to put in an advanced process controller, evaluate and decided, okay, well, out of 50 units in my plant, five will pay for me to put APC on. So I'll put it on five units. Um, today, you know, if you add the cost of carbon, that might go up to 25 units uh, or even all units. So that's totally changed the calculus as to where, how you think about APC and where you put it. On the technical side, you know, one of the uh, frictions in putting it in place APC is the historically you needed an expert to set it up. And you also needed on hand someone the company would typically call an optimization engineer whose job would be to monitor and, you know, uh, at certain intervals look at should we update the settings on our APC based on the actual conditions in the plant. So what we've done over the last few years, so we introduced maybe 10 years ago, a patented thing called adaptive process control. So that by itself, in a sense, it was an early AP, an early AI um, application. We didn't call it AI, but in a way it was. And um, so that made basically, you know, we talk about self, self-correcting or self-maintaining uh, APC. So basically, it'll run constantly and tell the APC engineer, you know, your your APC is not optimally set up anymore. We recommend you change the settings X, Y, and Z. Well, what we've done in the last uh, two to three years is started introducing AI, industrial AI, uh, into, this AP, into our APC 
so that you can take the data streams off the plant and the AI system can become an more of an expert advisor to inform you as to what to do uh, and more, more in a more sophisticated way, use the operating data to make better decisions. But additionally, it can take the, the process flow diagram of your plant if you're setting up an APC and sort of reproduce what experts used to do to set up an APC and tell you, okay, based on your plant setup, this is what, you know, this is, we're 90%, you know, certain this is how you should set up your APC. So what that does is it eliminates a lot of this implementation friction. And so it combines with this business um, opportunity to, you know, to basically put APC in a lot more places to reduce emissions, reduce energy use, um, but also reduces the expertise required to do it and you can do it faster. So it sort of changed the decision. A lot of companies that already were APC people, but now have made them, you know, basically we've been sh sort of all very surprised by the number of companies that have come back to us and say, well, we now want to do a global APC program and look at putting it on many more units. Uh, because we think we can, and it'll benefit our CO2 emissions. Uh, the third thing is, we just a few months ago introduced something called AVA, <laughs> uh, which stands for Aspen Virtual Advisor. And uh, basically, you could think of it, um, you know, like a Siri for um, for APC. So it's basically an AI-based visual tool that will help. Uh, you know, inform that you basically that the APC engineer or the operator can talk to the APC system, if you will, and, you know, understand how it's running and what they could do to improve it. So, and that's created a lot of excitement among our APC users. So a lot of new things there, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it really sounds like it's very interesting technology. All, all the, all the AI stuff that, that, I know we've discussed over the past uh, months and in a couple years. It's it's just been incredible what what that what that kind of technology can do. Yeah. Um. One thing I did want to go back to. I know you mentioned it earlier in our discussion was the talk about designing and redesigning plants to improve energy efficiency. So I'm kind of curious, and I wanted to go back to that. And you know, what does that entail, and how does that involve digital software? Okay, so, you know, basically, you know, most companies will be familiar with this. You'll do an energy study in your plant or, you know, and today you would do it largely to figure out how to reduce emissions. Um, and so you get a bunch of consultants to come in and uh, a couple million dollars later and <laughs> a couple months later, they give you a list of things you could do. And so typically the types of things you might do range from, relatively what I would call straightforward things, you know, okay, well, you have very old heat exchangers. There's new technology available that's, you know, more energy efficient just in the way heat exchangers are designed today. So we we recommend you replace these three heat exchangers. You know, that, that could be a simple recommendation. Or, you know, there may be a ma more major unit that, well, this unit you know, it's going to cost you a lot to to replace, but the benefits could be high because it, you know, you're having to take it down for cleaning frequently. It fouls a lot. You could do some redesign there or just a newer system. On the other hand, um, there's more complicated things. So there's a chemical engineering term, which <laughs> gives fear to the chemical engineers coming out of college. It's called pinch analysis, 
which basically lets you analyze, basically analytically look at the plant, all the sources of heat and cooling and all the uses of energy and figure out, is it arranged? Are you most effectively using all the heat and you know hot fluids and cool fluids in the plant most effectively in a closed loop of the plant? And usually the answer is no, but what pinch technology does is it lets you uh, give you a very rigorous list of this is, you know, these these are the things you can do. This is the benefits you're going to get. And then you can look at what's the capital cost of doing those. So that's where, you know, by doing this digitally in a very short period of time, you can come up with um, very strong recommendations as to how to do this. I'll give you one example. Uh, one of the large refiners in Korea called S-Oil um, did this with Aspen Tech a few years ago using our software and a couple of our consultants to help help you know run this uh, this analysis for them and they identified something like 25 significant actions they could take in their plant which included rerouting pipes you know to recycle uh, waste heat and a variety of different actions like that and so basically gave them a list you know from biggest to lowest impact and biggest to lowest cost of things they could do and they've been working their way through that a list of 20 uh, redesigned things they could do. So basically that was all in, you know, and whereas people were not in a hurry before and if the study took a year to do, that was fine. Now people are much more in a hurry to be agile about that and to identify where could they be spending their money best to reduce emissions. And so you can do that, you know, much faster using digital technology. No, that's great. And so I know this, that was a really good example on the plant level side of it. I'm curious then, what about the upstream oil and gas production? Is that similar or different? So, yeah, that's an absolutely interesting question. So it's, it's both, it, the answer is both. It's both similar and different. So, I mean, let's talk about the differences first. The differences are that um, upstream, first of all, you often, not always, but often have a second parameter, which is really important, which is water use. So, I mean, this happens in the Permian where you may be doing fracking and you're injecting water. And as you know, in Texas, there's a huge emphasis um, on how do we conserve water in the oil fields. Um, but, um, you know, another example is Canada, where we've done several projects there with uh, with large APC implementations in the oil sands. The you know, so there, you know, well, oil sands is actually a perfect example. The so where there's similarities and differences. So, well, you know, basically by putting an APC in, so that's a system where you have injection wells and production wells, um, and so. Um, but you're also injecting steam. So you have a lot of energy use, but steam is both energy and water. So basically by applying APC, you can uh, take the the uh, reservoir engineering instructions to run, you know, as to how to inject the steam and how to produce the heavy oil there um, and do it much more efficiently. So I think in their case, they were saving, uh, you know, at least five percent energy and five to ten percent steam. Um, uh, neither of our big customers up there using it wants to uh, 
be quoted, so I can't give you the names, but um, but that's another example. And also another, but the other thing in upstream is that uh, fugitive emissions and flaring are huge issues and they're sort of low hanging fruit in a way. Um, but um, again, uh, for fugitive emissions, you need to know where where the emissions are. And and of course, there are companies out there who are coming up with really good solutions for things like uh, monitoring to try to identify where the fugitive emissions are doing, doing surveys with drones and things like that. But you can also do this with much more straightforward digital technology. So, for example, at ADNOC in the Middle East, um, they implemented a on their largest gas field, they implemented a field-wide um, digital twin using our several of our technologies. But one one of them was uh, something called uh, uh, yield accounting, which is typically used to figure out, you know, first of all, if there's sharing of resources among um, you know owners of the field, you have to calculate who gets the revenues <laughs> at any given point in time. But but in this case, the uh, the uh, hydrocarbon accounting system was used to identify losses. So it basically in their system, it pretty quickly discovered that there were 1% natural gas disappearing out of the system. So that's basically then you can track down exactly with using that system, which is the inputs are on a well well to well basis. Uh, and all the processing systems, you can find out where are the fugitive emissions coming from and where can you, how can you stop those leaks, for example. Um, so, so the differences there are things like the, what I talked about, the water use, uh, all, you know, and also the energy used if you're doing steam injection, but also, also there's a lot of at water, but there's the similarities are you have a lot of large systems involved in upstream, like the GOSPs are big energy users, the gas oil, uh, separation systems and the uh, and other gas processing equipment and compressors that are typically in a natural gas field. No, that was great. Yeah, great stuff. And then I, I just had one last question for you. Um, it's been really interesting talk. So uh, for people that are listening to this uh, and they're done with the podcast, where can a company go to start their journey? I mean, what should they do first to find out more information about some of the stuff that we talked about today? So, I mean, the easy thing to do first, of course, is we have a lot of materials that uh, we try to publish. I, I spend a lot of my time putting together things like white papers and case studies. So um, we have a lot of free materials. You know, yeah, they help us convince companies to adopt our software, but we we sort of, we really do it to educate companies. So, uh, you know, I think first is understand what other people are doing and how they're benefiting from it. There's a lot of public case studies. This tends to be an area where people are willing to share information because it's not as much competitive advantage questions. So people will share what they've accomplished. But I think, but beyond that, though much more basic, and we've been working with about 10 refiners in Europe in a meeting with them every two months on this whole sustainable area where uh, to innovate faster with them uh, cooperatively. But what we were surprised at actually was most companies actually is even in Europe where there's a very high focus on this. They don't, there is not a detailed understanding of where companies are using energy, where you can. So I think the first step actually is to, uh, work with somebody, do either do it yourselves or work with somebody like ourselves, 
how do you create a much more granular and accurate understanding of your emissions throughout your plant? Not just uh, some gross number for the plant based on fuel used by the whole plant, but more detailed information. Because in order to improve energy efficiency, you need to understand where are you, where are you emitting? What are your quote bad actors? Some of them, you know, I call them bad actors. They might they might be they're also good actors because high energy use units are actually creating economic values. So then how do you take those big energy users and focus in on the ones where you have the biggest opportunity? So it's, I think step one is to gain the understanding and to do that, uh, put in place some sort of a system that gives you a, what we call decisions, not just reporting, not just reporting on what happened last quarter or last year, but decision support, what's happening today and what do we predict is going to happen in the next month so we can make those changes that reduce energy use and carbon. Excellent. No, and I've always enjoyed reading uh, a lot of y'all's case studies, but y'all do a very, very good job of showing how these technologies have actually benefited companies. So uh, I I do highly uh, suggest that the people listening on this to go check those out uh, on Aspen Tech's site. Uh, but j- listen, Ron, I, Again, it's always it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I really want to thank you for providing us some time today to discuss uh, these issues um, that are really, really Im- impacting our industry globally. Um, and of course, we want to thank all of you for listening to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column.